stories from your community. This is the 519 Podcast, part of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network. St. Patrick's Day parties in London have always been an occasion. A day to look forward to with huge crowds piling onto the streets near Western and Fanshawe. These parties are unpreventable but they're always contained to the streets they're set on with little overflow into the general public. It's a strategy that's worked for years with no major problems. That is until March of 2012, when Fleming Drive near Fanshawe College had the appearance of a war zone with fires, screaming, serious injuries, even an explosion. It even made the news all around the nation. On this episode of the 519 podcast, the St. Patrick's Day riot of 2012. Extremely disappointed, I might even say angered, at the behaviors of all of those individuals who were involved in the incidents around Fleming Drive on March 17th and in the early morning hours of March 18th. I'm sorry this has happened in our community, and I'm sorry that it is detracting from the reputation of one of the finest colleges in this country. I want to assure you we are taking this matter very seriously and will continue to do so in the coming weeks. That was Dr. Howard Rundle, the former president of Fanshawe College during his press conference in condemnation of the riot in 2012. It was a position that very few presidents of post-secondary institutions have been in to that date, and one that no others have been in since. It's a rare thing to have a college party boil over into a full-fledged riot. Yet, in 2012, that was the reality. To put it into context, it wasn't just one night of absolute lunacy. To those outside of London and Fanshawe at the least, this was far less of a sporadic occurrence than what you'd think. There had been years of build-up to get to this point. This is Craig Needles. What people may not know about the Fleming situation was, what was going on there was just kind of a build-up after years of trouble on that street. Nothing nearly that bad, but there were always parties there. The cops were always there to go to break up kind of large street parties. It had never turned into a riot before like it did uh, on that St. Patrick's Day. It was just, you know, random nice weather days in April or random nice weather days in September when you could be outside and the students were in school, oftentimes it turned into kind of a large street party there. And for the most part, those were relatively harmless. You know, maybe you have some, um, some litter left on the ground and people trampling flower beds or whatever, but not really super dangerous. The situation on St. Patrick's Day in 2012 was kind of a perfect storm. Fleming Drive was infamous for the parties it hosted. It got to a point that in 2011, the college spent $11 million purchasing a notorious Fleming Drive townhouse complex in an attempt to deter rowdy partying. Clearly, it did not work. And it wasn't just the students. It had a reach past Fanshawe. People would make a point of visiting from out of town. Everyone wanted to get in on the madness to join in on the party. At face value, this is fine. Everyone's allowed visitors. But when it comes to responsibility and accountability for your actions, people coming from out of town may not feel the same obligation to the community to keep things reasonable. So when you have a massive street party filled with combinations of drunk students and visitors, it limits the potential for any voices of reason in the crowd. And naturally, that may lead to a middle-of-the-street couch fire to get the party rolling. You had people that just didn't want to do what they were asked to do. They didn't want to move from certain spots. They didn't want to go back in the house. They didn't want to leave if they were not 
someone who lived in the neighborhood. You had people who were intoxicated. You had people who, in some cases, were itching to start fires. And of course, people, once the couch fire starts, they're like taking planks from fences and throwing that into the fire. It just is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Once the couch was on fire and growing by the minute, the firefighters were called to the scene. And while you'd assume they'd be able to put out the fire with everyone going home, we all know that that wasn't the case. The opposite happened, a rebel against authority. The violence started with firefighters trying to put out fires. And then when they started getting beer bottles hooked at them, that's when they said to the cops, like, we're gonna need some help here. At this point, it was clearly a dangerous scene for local authorities to be at. The firefighters were extremely limited to what they could do at the scene. And as a result, things continued to get worse. The crowd started to become more aggressive in their actions, and the riot was escalating. Videos began showing up online, blowing up on social media, which had even more people going to the scene. This included news outlets, who streamed it for the nation to follow, which in hindsight just added more fuel to the fire. Well, when the police got there, they wanted to break the whole thing up, but that's when things started to get really out of hand. We're talking about beer bottles being thrown at, at officers. Officers, of course, were, were dressed for the occasion. They knew it, it, it could get ugly. Uh, people who just didn't want to be part of uh, leaving the scene, didn't want the party to end. The news van got flipped over, and eventually, after the flipping, it's on fire, and it burns significantly, and I, I saw the remnants of it when I got there the next morning. And it's really the main thing that people think about when talking about that riot is, oh yeah, remember that news van, the CTV news van got flipped over, remember that? That's kind of the, the, the touchstone moment because we've never seen really anything like that in London before. The propane tank in the fire would have most likely been the climax in what could have been a devastatingly awful night. The videos online were horrifying. The explosion of the tank was like something out of a war zone. It took a fire that was already reaching 8 to 10 feet high and exploded it in all directions instantaneously. People weren't that far from the scene of the explosion. Riders had been congregating around that fire all night, throwing anything they could find into it. It was the most dangerous event of the night, but it wasn't the only one people were harmed by. Coming out of the mess were reports of injuries caused by thrown bricks, bottles, and shattered glass in people's legs. One was even rushed to their emergency room with glass in their eye. There were stories about people that were very seriously hurt in, in that, and, and I felt very bad for those people, of course. Um, but yeah, you, you heard all sorts of things like that, and you hear about you know police officers or firefighters getting smoked in the head with beer bottles, and that's that's that, that's frustrating. That's that's really upsetting. I'm still amazed that no one was killed, because we're talking about propane tanks being thrown in fires. We're talking about vans being flipped over. I, I well, I shouldn't say amazed no one was killed, but and there were people that were seriously hurt to be clear and, and, and suffered significant injuries. But I, I still look back and think to myself, we're fortunate that no one died that night. Because that could have easily happened. Because let's just say someone suffered a serious injury in that crowd. An ambulance wasn't getting down there, right? So that person would have been there for a little while before they received medical attention. Brad Duncan was the chief of police at the time, and he said it was the worst violence that he'd ever seen in 30-plus years of policing in London. There were up to a 1,000 people at the riot, over 50 policemen, ambulances, and fire trucks. It was a local catastrophe. You've got to wonder, how did it get this out of hand? On the rioting side of things, what really came into play here was mob mentality. This is when individual thinking becomes influenced by the larger group at hand, and where the actions of the extreme few could be mimicked into actions of the many. 
What it does is it takes the moral responsibility from the individual and projects it onto the group. And it goes without saying that the last thing a large group of drunk 20-year-olds need is the absolution of responsibility. When it was all said and done, there was well over $100,000 of damage to the street. Nearly every police car that showed up was damaged. The CTV news van was damaged, fences were damaged, properties were damaged. It was a catastrophe. I get there the morning after the riot, and I'm looking around, and I'm seeing burned out couches. I'm seeing the spot where the news van was lit on fire. There's broken glass everywhere. You're watching closely as to where you walk. You don't want to step on any glass. You're seeing fences that were obviously there the night before that had been ripped apart and clearly the remnants of the fence had been put in the fire. It looked like a tornado had gone through just that one block stretch of, of Fleming Drive. I'm never going to forget some of the imagery from that it's, it's going to be burned into my brain forever because I just couldn't believe that I was walking through a London neighborhood after something like that. It just was hard to wrap your head around in the moment. And then you look at the videos from that night and it, it does kind of make sense once you see the carnage that had occurred there that evening. But the people who were there, uh, I, I, I have endless respect for them because that situation could have got a lot worse than it did once we look back and saw everything that had happened it could have been significantly worse as far as injuries and as far as deaths go. It wasn't just the physical damages to Fleming Drive that were extensive, but the riot put Fanshawe under a national microscope, with videos from the riot being seen all over the country. It was the news story of the day, and not something that any institution of education would want coinciding with their name. It was a major hit to Fanshawe as a brand, and as a school that's training the leaders of tomorrow. I want to remind you, Fanshawe College is the size of a city with almost 17,000 full-time students and we now have over 130,000 alumni. We have graduated people who make a real difference in this community and around the world and many of them contribute to this community while they are students. Beginning today we are taking back the reputation of an exceptional college. There were major reparations to be made, both to the physical properties and to the community. It started with holding those who played a part in the riots accountable for their actions. Sadly, I must say, the actions of some of our students not only endangered themselves, but put our emergency responders and our community at great risk. This is unacceptable. It will not be tolerated. It will not be excused and we will not have those people as students of this college. I fully supported my staff's decision to immediately issue six interim student suspensions as the result of charges laid by the police on Saturday. And as of this morning, we have suspended two more students. We will now conduct thorough investigations under our student code of conduct. Fanshawe's student code of conduct does allow us to reach into the community when the actions of a student, in our opinion, are judged that they might impact the safety and health of those of us in the college community. There were certain people I remember that they were trying to look for. They were saying, hey, if anyone knows who this person is on this still shot, uh, London police want to hear from you. Like, so th there, there were people they were looking for. I don't think they would have arrested everyone they wanted to because we were talking about thousands and thousands of dollars in damage and they, I don't think they got all the rest that they wanted to get, but um, they, they did get a lot of them. 
The problem with bringing consequences onto every single person that had a hand in the demolition of an entire street is that there wasn't the same technology available then as we have today. Officers weren't wearing body cameras and houses didn't have security cameras set up. Even the cell phones that were capturing the videos were in such low resolution quality that the faces in the images couldn't definitively identify people. Where students can provide information and video. I also understand that students themselves have created a Facebook page among other things, and we will cooperate fully with the police in exchanging that information. While all of these efforts are to be commended, it's very important that those of us who are not trained to investigate do not do so. That information must be used by people like the police for their ongoing investigation and by trained Fanshawe staff, beginning with our campus security services area, who are also trained police officers. Going into the investigation, they realized that they weren't going to get everybody. They had to start by getting the few they knew were a big part of the destruction of that night. It was something that we got updates on as the weeks and months progressed after the riot had occurred. And there was the college dishing out punishment for people who were there. There were police, I presume, using video and, and eyewitness evidence to, to piece together people who were there. And they were arresting people from the GTA. Like, there were people from far outside of London that were facing charges. So it was something that did not happen instantly right after the riot had occurred. It took, you know, weeks and months afterwards to, to make all those arrests. Initially, there were over 10 arrests made, eight students that were suspended, and over $100,000 in damages done to the street. Some of the charges included mischief, unlawful assembly, assaulting a police officer, and resisting arrest. And this isn't even considering the charges for property damages. This is just what the police were able to do in the immediate following of the riot. Tracking down the other attendees would be difficult because once again, not everyone was a Fanshawe student. We do know there were hundreds of Fanshawe College students there. And as I said, we will not excuse them. But there were also students from local high schools, much too young to be out of the watchful eye of their parents. There were people from other institutions and there were even those from outside London. That's what happens when a student enclave develops in a city. It earns a reputation and it attracts people. I'm also going to challenge the landlords on Fleming Drive. There are good landlords there, but there are not others who need to own part of this problem. As time passed and the investigation proceeded, there have now been over 70 charges laid against 33 individuals. 16 of those were Fanshawe students, meaning the rest were out-of-town visitors and youths. I remember, like, looking at video took a long time and they were making arrests for months after that happened. Every now and then you would get a news release into your inbox saying, hey, we, you know, London police have arrested this person after an incident on dis uh, uh, March 17th, 2012, uh, this person faces this, this, or this charge. We got a bunch of those. One thing that definitely came out of the Fanshawe riot is that Fleming Drive would be watched a lot closer than it had. I think that the situation at Fanshawe with student partying was out of control before we even got to that point, and Fleming was the last straw. And things have changed at Fanshawe, and I'm not saying that no one at Fanshawe parties anymore, that's ridiculous, but the sort of on-street partying in and around the college is different than it was before. And I think that we're sensitive to that because we talk about what happens at Bruffdale near Western for some of these events because of how out of control Fleming got. 
I think that before there was an attitude of, hey, just, you know, they're, they're university students, they're college students, let's let them party. But, but after that night, it turned into, for a lot of folks, wait, this can get out of hand. Maybe we should really make sure we kind of have a lid on this. Things have changed on Fleming Drive, and definitely for the better. Nothing has come close to the destruction of St. Patrick's Day in 2012. Likely, and hopefully, nothing ever will again. It was a significant event to have happened locally, and one that people still look back and reflect on today. I know there are people in the community that, that still talk about being there that night and what that was like, and some of them talk about it fondly. And, and I will say this, like, I get it. I'm sure parts of that night were fun, but it was incredibly dangerous. Uh, there were, I think, well over a dozen people were arrested. I forget the exact total, but it was it was a significant number of people who ended up getting arrested that, that would have had their lives changed that night because of things they did. And, and that's fine. You should be accountable for what you do. But uh, some people look back on that fondly, and I don't think that... Uh, I don't think that's the way that we should look back on that. It, it, again, it, it could have gone way, way, way worse than it did. I still talk to people about it to this day, uh, people who were there that night and they were taking video, people who were there the next day. And, you know, you go to all the news conferences and talk to folks and it was just, um, people still talk about it as one of sort of the most memorable stories that that they've ever covered in London. It's still one of my most memorable stories that we ever had in London. It was, uh, it was a hell of a thing and it was something that... Uh, yeah, people that, that, that do this job that were part of that London media circle in, in, in 2012 are never going to forget. This episode of the 519 Podcast was hosted by Haley Chang and written and produced by Patrick Megermans and Haley Chang. The 519 Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.